I now understand a whole world that I didn't. You know, the important relationship people have with animals and with their pets. They just think you're brilliant. Yeah. And they just say, oh, you're back. I'm so <laughs> pleased to see you. I love you. God, you're great. Hi, I'm Emily Dean. Welcome to Walking the Dog. And this is your weekly reminder that there are three ways into my heart. Rate, review and subscribe on iTunes. This week, I went out for a lovely long walk with comic writer and podcast king Adam Buxton and his dog Rosie, who is a whippet poodle cross. Now, I know you're not meant to discuss politics and religion, but after this podcast, I discovered there's a third thing. Never bring up the subject of how old someone's dog looks. I mean, Adam dealt with it. We're still talking. Okay, it's through lawyers, but it's a start. Adam's got an umbrella. You've got two umbrellas. You've got two umbrellas. This is this is from a Dutch hotel. I won't ask any questions. <laughs> <laughs> and Rosie's getting really excited, Adam. Rosie loves going for a walk, don't you, Rosie? And it's very sad sometimes when the weather's terrible. And she'll just mooch around. And every time I go into... She can hear me putting my boots on, which I've got my walking boots on now. Really, and she gets excited. And I can... Literally, I'll go into the boot room and um, start putting my boots on and, and I hear from upstairs <laughs> and she races down the stairs. It's weird, I, she can sense it. She's got such a mournful look on her face. She's she excited, does. Yeah. but she doesn't want it to be over already. Here we go. Okay, so this is so exciting. Thank you so much for hey, being on this. I should say, by the way, for coming. this is Walking nice the Dog you. Yeah. and I'm with Adam Buxton. Hello. Who is, I would describe you as writer, comedian, actor, and king of the podcast. Yeah, that's exactly how I describe myself. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Do you think that's a fair description? Well, I think that's flattering, but, but yes, it's what I would... Those are all the things I have done and would like to do more of. So we're at your, ha- your home, which is... Let's just let's keep it vague. Well, it's, I tell you so where it is. So it's not a kidnapper's it's, guide. No, but, it, um, it's near a village called Wyndham. Okay. Wymondham, beautiful here uh, in uh, near Norwich, and we're out in the country, and we're very lucky to have this uh, quite big place with a lot of outbuildings. Yeah, and that was the thing, you know, of the cliche about moving out of London is you suddenly find your money for your crazily expensive property that you had in London suddenly goes a lot further, and you're yeah. able to live like a king. Well, it, a bit it, of land it looks and like you have a nice life here. Yeah. Oh man, I mean, I I always feel guilty whenever I'm talking to people who have some sort of very strongly held political beliefs or who have had difficult lives. I just think I feel I feel like God. I don't really have anything to complain about at all. I'm one of the luckiest people in yeah. the world. Um, well, that's okay to so acknowledge I c- that, So I count my blessings, yeah. It's hard, though, because what you don't want to do is be one of those, what I call, hashtag blessed people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, on the internet, and they say, feeling so blessed right now yeah. with my wonderful life. And we're here with Rosie, who is adorable. And to people who listen to your podcast, they'll be familiar with her, because she's on, she she's on the podcast with you. You have your little ramble, don't you, at the beginning with her. Mm-hmm. Well... She's about four years old, three and a half, something like that. Don't take this the wrong way, but she looks older. Oh, yeah. Well, she's wise. Okay. Uh, plus, she's shaggy. I don't know. I don't know yeah. anything about dogs, really. Um, well, I, I'm offended. <laughs> you said my dog looks old. Wow. Are you genuinely a bit offended? No, I'm not genuinely offended. That is quite rude of me, isn't it? I don't... I mean, is it? Yeah, rude? I mean, you did say, "Don't take this the wrong way." You must have known it was a pretty rude thing to say about a person's dog. Your dog looks very old. What are you doing? You're working your dog too hard. You're cruel. <laughs> but is that's that rude? Saying, I mean, that's an interesting point. Is it rude to tell someone their dog looks old? Yes. I mean, if you said to me you look old, I'd be pretty upset. But a dog looking old—that's okay, isn't it? I mean, that's. that's <laughs> <laughs> what? A, where do you stand on people? making observations about your appearance anyway. I always try and avoid it because I think, uh, I don't even like thinking about it. I think you're only allowed to comment on someone's appearance if you provide a positive caveat with it. So I know a girl that constantly says, have you had your hair done? Mm -hmm. And you say yes. And she says, I thought you did. And then Uh. 
the deafening sound of silence. Yeah, that's bad in general. I don't like it when people say stuff like, oh yeah, I saw your show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. And you're like, okay. And years ago at a party, that happened to me and I, and I was embarrassed by the silence. And so I said, and what did you think? And the person said to me, yeah, not my thing. Not really my thing. And I said, oh, okay. And they were talking about the TV show, the Adam and right. Joe show that I used to do. And I said, oh, right, okay. Uh, well, what is your sort of thing? And they reeled off a list of shows that I absolutely love. <laughs> you know what I mean? So clearly we had similar tastes, but they had taken they against But it's weird when people... Show. Do you think people sometimes decide to do that? Yes, as a bit of a pose. Yeah, as a bit of a pose. And sort of, I'm taking this position. Or a and, power play. Yeah. Or sometimes... Is it? That's the like, only I sound way. Like I'm, Andy, what's I'm his saying name on this is the week? only is possible it? way that someone could dislike my work is <laughs> as a power play. <laughs> it's not that they just Classic didn't like power it. Power play. They no. think I'm a moron. Yeah, right. It's a power play. <laughs> no, sometimes I think it's this misguided notion that he must be used to people saying how great his work is. Right. I'm going to stand I out. I think that's definitely true. As the one person, the truth teller. Yeah. And we know each other as well. We've got history. How did we meet then? We met back in the 90s. And we met through... Jonathan, yes, because... Jonathan Ross, yes. Yeah. And his wife, Jane. Indeed. And that was when they used to live in... Uh, there was a big old place with lots of movie posters, like magic movie posters oh, from yeah. the 30s. I mean, his place is no, still, still like that, It's right? just a slightly bigger old place <laughs> yeah, with yeah. lots of... Um, but yeah, in Hampstead, and we used to kind of all hang out and... There yeah. were a lot of parties there, I remember. Yeah. A lot of celebs coming and going. I remember, yeah, to fun. my shame, yeah. um, being so sort of excited and overwhelmed that I thought more or less any kind of behaviour was acceptable. So <laughs> at a certain point, I remember Sel, my wife, was over in the corner chatting to whoever, I don't know, maybe Joe or yeah. Joe's girlfriend, Annabelle. And... Uh, I was talking to Jane, Jonathan's wife, and Jane Middlemiss. Oh, yes, yeah. And I was just sort of overexcited and had maybe had, you know, two wines. Yeah. And so uh, I think I was sort of flirting or trying to flirt with both Jane Goldman and Jane Middlemiss. I mean, it's pretty bad behaviour for me, I would say. <laughs> and I, it's not something I would ever do now. You know what I mean? I look back with shame that I did it <laughs> because I just sort of thought, this is, I'm, I'm like a cool celeb guy hanging out with celebs. This is what we do. We, we, just don't, we just do whatever we want. Did you feel a bit Wolf of Wall Street? I think so. I just yeah, thought, that was your yeah, I'm, I'm pretty mad and I do a TV show and I'm hanging out with Jane from the Ozone. <laughs> That's an obscure TV reference, yeah. listeners. Um, and, how, and what happened then? Did you, ha and did then you have I, a moment of self-awareness? Yeah, my moment of self-awareness came the next morning. Saturday morning, when Jonathan was on Radio 2, back mm. in those days, doing his excellent radio show. Mm. And he was chatting with his uh, producer about this party that he'd had the night before. And I was like, oh, I was at that party. Um, so my ears pricked up. And then... At a certain point, he described, he said, oh, and then someone, one of those Channel 4 comedian types, was flirting with my wife. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I know who that was. It was Louis Theroux, because Louis was there. <laughs> and I thought, Louis, he's a disgrace. I bet he was flirting. It didn't cross my didn't mind cross that he meant that me. That had been you. Yeah. But then I said, <laughs> I, I called Louis. I was like, hey, man, did you hear Jonathan talking about the party last night and uh, I think he meant you like flirting with Jane and Lou was like mate he definitely meant you did you ever ask Jonathan uh, I don't think I did I was too embarrassed well the good news is in a, in a way you're you will get confirmation now as a result of this podcast yeah <laughs> some years after the event but yeah no and it's but no it was it was it was Jonathan is incredibly loyal and kind and was one of those people always who 
he he enjoyed the life he had and he wanted to share it with other people i think so yeah um and we always really appreciated it you know me and joe especially it was very exciting I and mean, he would you'd get the call you know do you want to come over on friday night yeah. we've got some people around and you're like whoa who's gonna be there and what's he gonna be talking about and well it's like i used to say with jonathan it's like hanging out with a tudor king but you don't get beheaded yeah so you get all that munificence and all that you know you go into a restaurant with jonathan and you say oh i'm not sure just get 10 of them you know and i kind of quite like that it's a real lust for life isn't it yeah it's sort of a fantasy he's like it's it's like he's working for the fame marketing board Uh, you okay, know, so who would be working? Jonathan, fame's them? getting a bad rap. We were wondering <laughs> if you could come in and make it look really brilliant again. Yeah, we're going to need to get Ross on the case. Yeah, Rosie's run ahead now. Talk yeah. me through Rosie and when you got Rosie. her. So, yeah. I was not in a uh, doggy family at all when I grew up. Are you not? No, my dad was a writer, a travel writer. So he was often away, and we lived in London. Actually, we lived in Wales for a long time, but then moved to London so it was not practical for us to have animals really because we would travel with my dad quite a bit as well we were uh, very lucky in that respect so we got to travel around the world with him as he was writing yeah but it meant that really it wasn't practical to have a dog or any other animal good from my dad's point of view because he was not a big animal lover I don't right I've ended up being a lot like my dad in a lot of ways in that he was uh, a sort of lower middle class boy who managed to well he went off to war he fought Mm. in the second world war um, but he came back and inserted himself into uh, a kind of snooty society in some ways ended up hobnobbing with people from a different class or from further up the upper classes and what and do you think he enjoyed that yeah he loved it because he because yeah why not and yeah uh, it wasn't like he was hanging out with they were nice i think now a lot of people have an image fixed in their minds of the upper class as being just indefensible wankers Mm. entirely and obviously there are a great many who are like that but there's also a lot of people who are interesting and yeah. well read and who've had interesting lives and met interesting people and yeah. and you can be down on them because uh, you think they've had it all handed to them on a plate and okay fair enough but he you know was friends with people like Patrick Lee Fermer who was a, a, a oh, famous yeah. travel writer uh, with um, John le Carre and um, Reginald Bosenkett, who was a famous boozy newsreader. I remember newsreader, wasn't he? Yeah. So would you describe your background was sort of intelligentsia, middle-class intelligentsia? I guess, yeah. You know, he liked the company of those people. He was, he felt, I I think he felt as if they were the types of people he wanted to emulate in a lot of ways, and he wanted to be respected as a writer in in the way that those people were Mm. a lot of the time. And he was probably tortured a lot of the time by feeling that he came up short when compared to them and um, so he was a complicated character and then I think he when he had children wanted them to be part of that world too yeah and so he felt that the best way to ensure that happened was to send them to expensive schools um, where they would hobnob and make friends with in your case uh, yeah the, the, the kind of you know the elite uh, captains of industry and but do you think in his case it was kind of the literary elite in that sense rather than those are the people that he ended up yeah he wasn't hanging out with arms dealers and yeah i don't think (laughs) so when you were at westminster you i mean you were there you're good friends with louis theroux and obviously you guys were at school together and joe was there joe was there yes who's your comedy yeah and i think joe was in a similar situation it was a curious mix of people at westminster some of them were the uh, were the sons of um, yeah billionaires and millionaires and and then other people were fairly from from, from fairly ordinary families mm. who were just doing everything they could to pay the school fees. We were saying we first met in the nineties. Yeah. And at that time, we met through Jonathan Ross, as we said, and you and Joe. 
we're doing the Adam and Joe show, which was a huge success. It's one of the most important uh, shows ever made. Well, um, I yeah. think in some ways it was. So when I saw someone the other, I'm not, it's not that I can't take a compliment, but it, I am always, because whenever I hear people, the Americans do it, right? They're always, right. they've made a decision, which is probably right in a lot of ways. Okay. That if you put yourself down, people are going to believe it. And they're just going to go, oh, right, okay. He's just a bit crap. And that's one thing that Brits do a lot, right? Is, is putting it's themselves down. self-deprecation, yeah. Yeah. But I just, the, the flip side makes me a little bit nauseated. People just trumpeting their own genius. I know what you mean. And talking about how important they and their work are. And I've spent so much of my life being uh, a little bit cynical about those things that it, it, it seems odd. When people are nice about mm. something like our TV show, I think, well, I met a guy just last week, a friend of mine, who said, oh, yeah, they're repeating your... They're repeating the Adam and Joe show on some channel in London. Yeah. And he'd been up at 3 a.m. watching it. And he's like, oh, it's, it's really aged badly. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, yeah. like be... Rosie. Yeah. <laughs> but that's... I said, well, it was always supposed to be a kind of time capsule, really. It was supposed to be disposable, wow. a, a pop culture review. We always hmm. felt that at the time, that probably this will not stand the test of time. And he said, no, it really hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> your show I was thinking about it the other day because you did a sort of a thing at the BFI which I went to with Joe oh yeah our 20th anniversary which was your anniversary and yeah. I loved it and I think what occurred to me actually was that it was incredibly ahead of its time and that what you were doing oh look who's coming up the drive the old the squires coming up the drive we're going to get to the gate and we're just going to turn around and retrace our steps okay I think you and Joe got to a point where you could have gone down a different road like you could have been a sort of university educated Anton Deck there was a lot of love for you and, and you were very popular with young people yeah. and not that we were university educated no that's Joe true. went to film school I went to art school you studied sculpture does that at count as university College, education yeah I didn't study sculpture at St Martin's <laughs> I, know, I would have didn't. loved to have done <laughs> but you my studied friend sculpture. Garth Jennings did <laughs> really yeah uh, maybe not sculpture but uh, yeah, yeah I, went, I went to Cheltenham, you were at Cheltenham. Uh, and Gloucester yeah but yeah, sorry, you were saying... No, I was just saying I find it interesting that you, I think, could have gone down maybe like a light end route. And, right. And, <laughs> you know, that sort of... I don't know if we I could. We, we did try because I remember there was a uh, an executive at Channel 4 in those days called Kevin Ligo and he took us out to the... What's the fancy restaurant that everyone... The Ivy. So we were at the Ivy having lunch one afternoon and it was after we'd done our fourth series um, still amazing to me that we actually did four series on channel four of our tv show and he said right so what's next what are you what are you going to do i don't think we're going to commission any more adam and joe shows yeah i think you guys need to go to the next level now and um uh, and sort of embrace the mainstream a little bit more. I'm paraphrasing, but this is mm -mm. more or less the gist of what he was saying. And I think that we... I, I hesitate to speak to Joe, but I think that we were both mortified by that idea. And we thought, no, it's fun being in the margins. And So you wanted to be... Yeah, we wanted to be because that yeah. whole show was born out of an affection for things that were not mainstream. Yeah. And for a, a slight snarky desire to snipe from the sidelines a little bit and or to gently take the piss you know um and the idea of ending up as one of those people on one of those shows that we always complained about was really yeah depressing and we plus we didn't have any good ideas for how <laughs> we would do that we, we had sort of stupid weird ideas of, of meta game shows and we were very impressed with Vic and Bob and the way that they did shooting stars and just thought yes you see that's the way to do it but we never really had that same sensibility that Vic and Bob do you know did you want to be famous was that the intention I think when you set out I probably it's got to really? be there somewhere you know what I mean don't you reckon if you're gonna because it takes a lot of effort to do it to do anything to make a tv show to yeah. make a film to make music whatever 
you don't drift into it. You can drift into it now and then, but to actually pursue it as a career, it's a lot of work and it's disruptive and difficult a lot of the time. So part of what's making you do that has got to be some sense of, ooh, I'd like to be, I'd like people to yeah. know who I am. Yes. You know what I mean? And it's not a good impulse and I don't think many people would admit to it. No. But it has to be there. Because well, I think it's also something that, I don't know, but I think it's probably there when you're a bit more unformed as a person, when yeah. you're younger maybe, and you're looking externally for validation all the time. Yeah. And I guess maybe as you get older and other things come in your life, whether that be kids or a relationship or work, and it just... I think maybe you're looking out less and... Well, you realise very quickly that all the clichés are true. And like that actually... That, that it's totally meaningless. That the thing that is important is what you're actually doing. And you realise that uh, any notion that fame is going to make your life more interesting or enjoyable is completely cockeyed. I think the fact that you've been with your wife for a long time is probably quite significant though to me. I remember when I when I sort of knew you in the 90s and I really don't know why I vividly remember this but I really wanted to tell you because I've never forgotten it. We were all sort of saying hanging out drinking and you said I've got to go mm. And we said, oh, no, come on, have another drink. You said, no, I've got to. I'm going to meet this girl. And it was oh, Sarah, yeah. your wife. And I remembered your words. And you said, I can't flake on her. I can't flake on her. I'm worried. I don't want her to think that I'm flaky because it's really important to me that she doesn't think that. Oh, yeah. Well, she's in a different league to me in every conceivable way. She's, she's sort of, first of all, much taller than I am. <laughs> and... Uh, considerably more intelligent so yeah I, I remember that very well Do and you? I, I met her over in uh, some pub way in West London yeah it was a busy Friday night it was quite a warm night I remember and she looked uh, she had a big coat with a big furry collar and to me she looked like Sean Young in Blade Run <laughs> you know what I mean just brilliant yeah and um, she has all this kind of like really wild, yeah, you know, crazy hair, Andy McDowell hair, right? Yeah. And uh, I thought she was absolutely terrific, and yes, very sensible. She's a lawyer, so in almost every conceivable way, the opposite from myself. So I guess that tells you something about me, but I don't know what. Um, and I went to your wedding, which was really lovely. Yeah, that's one thing that I do look back on, and I, I was. I was stung but when I heard that a few friends of Sarah's yeah. felt that I was trying too hard to kind of crowbar celebrity appearances in there. You oh, know really? I mean? Yeah, because I, ta I taped some little good luck messages. Yeah. And actually, Jonathan helped me. Um, Jonathan Ross said, oh, look, you know, I'm doing my radio show. If anyone interesting comes through, I'll get them to do a little message that you can play on the day. And actually, that was quite early doors for that, because people do that a lot now. But right. Back then, that was quite unusual. Yeah. Uh, so he got Joe Strummer to do wow. a, a message yes, for yeah. us. And my friend, uh, Dougie, who's in Travis, mm -hmm. they were playing on Letterman uh, in America. And... Julia Roberts was on the show, so he got Julia Roberts <laughs> to do a message with Julia Roberts pretending that she was like an old friend of Sal's, you know? Yeah. Like, Hi, Sal, sorry I can't be there, and listen, good luck, and don't forget, keep the you know, cap on the toothpaste, toilet seat down. And those were her tips for a successful relationship. <laughs> and who else did I get? Uh, well, I got Frank I Black from this. the Pixies to play a couple of songs, and I still was very much in that mindset yeah. of, oh, celebrities, they're great. And uh, if you got some of them to show off, then that's as good as things get. And actually, they were all, it was also supposed to be a bit spoofy. There's mm. no question that I knew Julia Roberts, and <laughs> that was a joke. But I think some of my friends and some of Sarah's friends thought, what are you trying to prove? You were getting you know? lost in that world, yeah. and it was a bit bright lights, big city. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which it was. I was. I was excited by it and dazzled. I couldn't believe that I was in a position to go and sit down with 
a hero of mine, Frank mm. Black from the Pixies, mm. and get him to play a song for the woman I was going to marry. I just thought, this is f***ing amazing. Yeah. And but actually also, I think probably with everyone, as we've said, especially when you're younger, there is that, there's that kind of wide-eyed wonderment yes. when you're in front of your heroes or just anyone who's kind of famous and then hopefully as you get older that gets a bit more measured but also yeah they they all die they all (laughs) (laughs) and then you just accrue respect by dint of having survived (laughs) then you have to start pretending you're really passionate about justin bieber it's just the older people who are still going god he's still around is he what's that (laughs) mediocre creep doing whereas everyone younger is like oh yeah he's very good (laughs) What a great autobiography, <laughs> Mediocre Creek. <laughs> yeah. But I do think, with you, like I say, I think the fact that you went down that route of stability in your home life was probably really important for you. But I think it's hard to be a good person sometimes, isn't it? Well, obviously it is for everyone. And, you know, there are details of my life mm. that I'm ashamed of and that... Uh, I would change if I had the opportunity. Yeah. And I, it's not as if I've reached any kind of level of spiritual nirvana where <laughs> I just wander around doing everything <laughs> right the whole time. Almost every day I do something that makes me cringe. What, like what? What happened today that made you cringe? Uh, well, I haven't or done yesterday. anything terrible yet, okay. although I haven't listened Still back time, to this everyone. But, So, um, what's made you cringe? Well, you know, on, uh, in a certain way, in a certain way, I suppose, um, it's a bit cringy to, uh, I don't know, you know, just selfish things. And okay. When, when you're being selfish and when you're guarding your own comfort too jealously and it ends up meaning that you haven't thought about someone else yeah. well enough. And also, you know, I get into confrontations every now and again with members of the public. Uh, very oh, is this often online? On, or? No, this is on it, very often in train stations with officials right you know i i i don't like i take being told off very badly okay <laughs> i don't yeah, like being yeah, told yeah. off we're talking earlier on about the <laughs> actually i'm not even going to say the phrase because i know <laughs> if i say the phrase then people will t- tweet it at me to antagonize me i know the phrase we're right. talking about a phrase that people often use on right, i'll Twitter. say the phrase because otherwise it'll say? be too annoying when people say not cool it yeah. drives me f-ing crazy I just want to reach through the uh, <laughs> through the screen and punch them in the, all over their body and in their face mainly and carry on punching until they say, okay, I'm sorry, I was wrong. It is cool. No, and, and, and obviously partly it's probably because I'm stung by a legitimate beef that they have yeah. with me. Yeah. But it's, that, it's that, that superiority that people have online. Yeah. I'm going to judge you right now and there's no way that you can really come back unless you're going to get into a fight and with me. There's something about not cool which is Zeus has spoken. Yeah. From atop oh, his cloud. Not cool. Not I wouldn't, cool. I wouldn't do that. I, I don't approve of that. You are a bad person for doing that. Like the last thing I think was someone saying that um, I seem to encourage Rosie the dog on my podcast to uh, antagonize members of the rabbit community or whoever it might be or at mm. least I don't do anything to stop it <laughs> and they say you know I like your podcast but I don't like the way that you think it's funny for Rosie to be attacking other animals <laughs> as if I'm encouraging her to go out and savage and I just think you don't know anything about my life what I'm doing out here you know and, uh, what I'm like as a person or anything really and maybe some people feel they do because they listen to the podcast and they think oh yeah yeah i would say you've become well for me anyway and for a lot of people i know i think you've you really revolutionized podcasting because you were a very early adopter and i think you've really exploited what's great about them which is that intimacy yeah and well thanks that's nice of you do you ever interview people and think I just wish you'd open up more. Yeah, all the time. But the, the, this is the big schism, right, at the, the, at the core of Dr. Buckles, is <laughs> to what extent is it a good idea to really open up? To wow. what extent are we just 
in a culture that celebrates that because it's fun and titillating. Right. But ultimately, is it really what is in people's best interests? Has it not partly led to a world where people overshare right. and, and that real sentiment has been cheapened somewhat because it's so easily shared and we are now no longer shocked by someone dissolving into tears something yeah. that I occasionally do on the podcast as well I suddenly yeah. become uh, all weepy and y y you know this is I'm now more or less paraphrasing my dad's point of view right, right. so this is, this is how what your dad felt. used to say because yeah, your yeah. dad wishes I mean most people who are familiar with you you know but you lost your dad yeah he died at the end of 2015 yeah um, and he was very much old school, mm. you know, keep it, sif up a lip, keep it buttoned. And um, I think he was too far that way. I think a happy medium is what you're after. Um, Sorry, I'm just loving yeah, Rosie Rosie's jumping over these. She's gambling. What are these? Are these cabbages? I don't know. I they don't look know like cabbages to about me. nature. I think they look like they'd, they'd look nice in a salad at Soho they House. They do look nice. They're very leafy, aren't they? A little bit of, little bit of chili I've and some no salt. I've got no idea what they are. But yes, so, he, so, so my dad thought like, don't, don't just let it all hang out. Yeah. He didn't like very uh, over-the-top displays of public emotion, really. It's interesting, isn't it? Because... People are quite buttoned up on the whole. Yeah. And, and are you, do you have therapy? Have you ever had it? Uh, no, I never have. But I, but I totally see why people do. I think it's clearly helps uh, a lot of people. And I've thought about it on many occasions when I felt like, God, I just haven't got an answer to how right. I'm feeling. And um, I don't see any way forward without someone stepping in and giving me some perspective and yeah you don't want sometimes your friends aren't the people to do that because you don't trust what they have to say because they you think they're saying what you want them to hear or what yeah. they you know what they want you uh, blah 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 you know what I mean um oh, oh Rosie found her there was an incident a pheasant that's a pheasant she well done Rosie it. yeah well Go done on, my son the pheasant was clearly about to attack us and where did you get her uh, Adam Rose, did you get Rosie from? Sarah, my wife sorted it all out because we, my son Natty, when he was little, wanted a dog so much and we thought it would be good for mm. him to have someone to look after and I was not up for the idea. Really? Yeah. Um, but I just thought, you know, we've already got a lot of stuff we need to be looking after and taking care of. Why do we need one more thing to, to complicate our lives further? But now, of course, I can't imagine being without She's part Rosie. of the family. Very much. That and, crazy girl. And uh, I see, I now understand a whole world that I didn't, uh, which is that, you know, the important relationship people have with animals and with their pets. I was completely oblivious to it. Never really made that much sense to me yeah it's a really strong bond isn't it yeah and it is very therapeutic to talk about therapy yeah just to have someone there who isn't judging you who isn't saying not cool <laughs> <laughs> when you when you do something stupid they just think you're brilliant yeah. and they just say, oh you're back i'm so <laughs> pleased to see you i love you god you're great you know and they never say Hey, you put on a bit of weight. <laughs> oh, oh uh, you look old. Yeah, you look really old. How old are you? Wow, you look twice that. Uh, your hair's bad. Why don't you get some proper clothes? Uh, I saw that thing you did on YouTube. Not really very funny. Oh, you were embarrassing on 8 out of 10 Cats Does Countdown. I don't get any of this from Rosie. All I get is, I love you. Are we going to go for a walk? Oh, God, it's brilliant. It's so great that you're home. Oh, you look handsome. Oh, I love you so much. Oh, can we watch more of that Frank Zappa documentary tonight? That's one of my favourites. I'm just going to put my head on your lap. I love you. I love the idea of Rosie watching the Frank Zappa documentary. It's yeah, excellent. She rates it. So it is, it is, it's just wonderful. It's yeah. wonderful to have that uh, person in your life. And I do think of Rosie as a person. As a person, yeah. yeah I think you do. Because <coughs> I always think that with my dog, Ray, I only recently joined the dog owner, the world of dog owners. And I, I'll talk to him like he can understand me. And I think, well, he can't. But it's still, I like having the, his presence there. Yeah. I really do. 
and it's very hard to get beyond the idea that maybe they can understand quite yeah. a bit. I mean, not for nothing right. is there a significant amount of fiction which involves animals being able to acquire the power of speech. Yes. You know, I think that's one of our big fantasies as human beings is to actually be able to find out to what degree those creatures that we love really do have personalities and what what they would say sometimes it's overwhelming the yearning you have to actually want your dog to <laughs> speak to you yeah yeah and say because you feel so strongly that they are um thinking things sometimes you just want to hear it but obviously if they actually did speak they'd probably say you know i really need to shit so is there any way you could open a door <laughs> That would be great. I, I've seen some of these videos they do where people, you know, they record themselves fainting or pretending to have a heart attack. What? To see how the dog reacts. <laughs> I wasn't have aware of that genre. That? No. <laughs> what no, it's the one hell? of those, it's, it's quite a strange thing, that isn't it? That is not cool. <laughs> that is not a cool practical joke to do on anyone. Yeah. That sounds like something that the young people would do and then put on vice well, no I think the one the I saw was website. quite a middle aged man what saying I mean he was in Florida or something yeah but he was saying laugh so much when the old girl thought I'd died yeah and he would just clutch his chest and made a loud ah noise and the dog starts going nuts obviously yeah and is really upset and distraught not cool and he then collapses on the ground uh -huh. and the dog's licking him and the dog's jumping all over him and barking and i thought well how far does this extend do you do it to your children yeah and your exactly. friends i just i pretended to die on friday yeah so, no that's very weird and also the dog may well just be thinking who's gonna give me my supper <laughs> what are you doing get up i'm hungry so i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean you have therapy right I have therapy and have do you feel like you're giving away do you f was there any part of you that felt you were sort of letting go a little bit or, or giving up responsibility for things that you should have been able to manage yourself I'm playing devil's advocate no yeah here. and that's interesting I think I had therapy after my sister died and then I just carried on and then I had it, my parents died very closely to each other. So I'd had all my family members basically die within three years. Oh, man. So it just felt a bit Game of Thrones episode, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, And that's why I did it. But I think what's interesting, the question you ask about that, because I think when I started therapy, I was a bit looking for reasons and, you know, that thing of going back to your childhood. My parents did this, you know. That does happen initially, but I think if you successfully see it through, what can happen after trauma, and I'm trying to do this, I'm not perfect, but I, I never blame anyone else now. So I try not to. Mm -hmm. So I think it's always your responsibility. I learned something when I went on this retreat once in Ireland, and it was, everyone is guilty, no one is to blame. Right. And that's how I try and live my life. So we're all ups, but you can't blame anyone else for it. Yes. Who was it? I was. This is not directly related, mm. but there was. I was listening to this um, conversation between an American journalist and George Harrison. Yeah. That was recorded back in the day, and um, George Harrison he bought this uh, place, Friar Park, is right. where he lived, a 19th-century home. I'm now re. Because I made a note yeah. of it. That's so and, sweet. Um, Adam got his phone out to read it, and I thought <laughs> he was looking at a text. And no. I thought, this is amazing that he's multitasking. <laughs> multitasking. He's having a conversation with me about my parents' death, and he's reading a text and, from a friend. And, and, and he's and sending an amusing tweet. <laughs> he's remonstrating with someone with the phrase, not cool. Uh, <laughs> um, no, Sir Frank Crisp was the yeah. owner of this place, Friar Park, before George Harrison bought it. And... They, there was lots of kind of slightly twee inscriptions and aphorisms written in mm. various places around and one of them that George Harrison loved and eventually incorporated into a song he wrote uh, said scan not a friend with microscopic glass you know his faults so let his foibles pass 
Oh wow! I think that's great, guy. Frank no, I love Crisp that. Was a um, that was his job was to do with m microscopy. Yeah. And so that was his little aphorism there. By which he, he created. lived his life. But things like that are quite powerful, I think. But no one. Yeah, is and this is the thing about yeah. social media. To bring it back to that is yeah. that is the, the thing that I always find difficult about it is that you are butted up against all these people who don't know you who aren't yeah. prepared to give you a free pass because they are judging you they are judging words that you've come out with or things that you've done in isolation mm. and so the, the microscopic glass is being deployed and not in your favor and and you end up with the not cool thing <laughs> <laughs> but do you you don't I mean on social media obviously that's a pain in the arse and I get that but you don't strike me as someone who's kind of angry in your daily life or no no i mean i've had times when no not really i mean you know you get depressed about the same things that a lot of people do and you see the the, the way the world is and and you worry that you aren't doing enough you aren't doing your bit you know you aren't doing enough to uh, change that mm. Th so those are the main things i suppose is a combination of melancholy and guilt yeah that's the main things i struggle with but no i'm not angry i'm not bitter i've had moments where i've wished things had gone slightly differently and i've certainly had many moments where i've been embarrassed by things i've said or done but um no You're i'm not angry quite and honest I about that aren't you i hear you sometimes i listen to your podcast a lot and you'd think i'd learn my lesson <laughs> i'm always because i listen to other people who do podcasts right <laughs> And uh, uh, this guy, Mark Maron, who I... who I heard your interview with yeah, him. Yeah, and I really like his podcast, but he's a figure that polarises people and he goes into much more depth in, in his podcast when it comes to his hang-ups and his neuroses and... That, that's oversharing, isn't it? Yeah, but he's very... I mean, I, I, you either like it or you don't. That's yeah. his whole shtick, is he talks in a very candid way about things that he doesn't like about himself. But mm. then sometimes you find yourself thinking... Well, look, if you've got all this insight, why don't you f***ing do something about it and stop being a prick? You know what I mean? But do you think people do change? Do you think people change? I think you've changed a lot from when I first knew you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I hope so. But you say that Maybe like, I just cover it up better. No, I think you've changed a lot. Well, someone else said that to me the other day, a, a close friend. He said, you're, not, you're a lot softer these days. And um, it surprised me that I think I think I used to upset people a little bit because I assumed that everyone was on everyone was doing bands you know what I mean right right so I thought like if I liked someone then I would tease them and right. I would uh, fool around and say sort of weird silly things <laughs> because I assumed that they knew where I was coming from but and then you found out you're walking well, into I, rooms and people were going oh yeah <laughs> here we go <laughs> and i really like sarah but what are we gonna do because yeah. that guy is a problem i i found out more than once that that is more or less what some people thought really? yeah that they we were friends and they and you know they judged me not with microscopic glass <laughs> and they forgave my foibles but they i think when me and joe used to get together especially we would delight in each other's company right to such a degree that it was quite uh it wasn't very inclusive you know and it and it and it, i think it was pretty annoying and you uh, and joe i was going to ask you about that because you and yeah. joe obviously you did the radio show for a long time which was you know lots of people consider that one of the best radio shows ever made it's kind of lauded by everyone and it's a fantastic show. I'm just and letting you carry on. I love it. <laughs> and your partnership um, is and was incredible. And it's great when you get to reunite and things. But when the show ended initially, that was really sad for everyone who loved it. And for me. Was it? Yeah, I was really sad. It was one of the few times when I thought, like, we're in the right place at the right time, you know. And this is fun and people like it and I like it and if people were to criticize it it wouldn't hurt because i i knew that it was decent you know what mm, i mean mm. it wasn't always great obviously 
but I knew that it was good enough on a regular enough basis for me to be really happy with it and to really enjoy doing it and look forward to doing it. So what happened? What was the, the Yoko Ono thing that broke up Oh, I'll that? tell you what Yoko Ono was. First of all, I, I'm not totally behind the whole concept of uh, demonizing people by invoking the name Yoko Ono because I, I'm I one of those like people that... I feel you just that, said to me, not cool. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm saying it to myself because I've yeah. been, I, I went through that journey of being a Beatles fan that sort of explained away the breakup. Oh, you know, it's, 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 I just feel like it's a lazy male way of explaining yeah. how things no, go. I actually a see bloody girl, <laughs> a bloody girl came and ruined the whole bloody thing. And it ignores so many important things that were happening in John's life and it ignores so many great things about Yoko and about how they related and how important they were to yeah. each other. And you just get so many mad, stupid fans kind of going, oh, that bitch, she ruined it all. And you know. you're right. You know what? I'm going to reconsider that because it is, we say it, don't we, as a kind of, it's just a thing now and it's entered the vernacular yeah. and you use that concept of Yoko Ono but actually it was quite lazy misogyny of its time and I'm done and with it and probably you know she, she was different in every way to yeah the the other people that they were hanging out with and uh, and the other wives and it's just a fear of the other uh, to a large yeah. degree now that's not to say that she wasn't maybe a challenging person and that the way they behaved sometimes was so uh, hugger mugger that it, it felt uh, exclusive to the others but that's a different thing that's a that's about couple dynamics yeah. and friend dynamics and to that extent I can relate and um, I felt very threatened and I talked to him about it when he was on my podcast by Edgar Wright the film director Did who, you? who was pals with us but um, hooked up with, with you Joe. and Joe Oh, so we've left Yoko, by the way. Yeah, we've and left. We know, and we are now saying Yoko Ono apologist, but I like that. Yeah, if we're gonna, if we're going, if we're going with the Yoko analogy. Yeah, Edgar was Yoko. Edgar is uh, Yoko, and um, why? Because he got friends with Joe Edgar Wright, and were you a bit, a bit gel, a bit jelly bag? I was jealous. <laughs> I was yes. That's exactly the phrase that I would reach for. <laughs> Uh, is, is, is that a therapeutic phrase? I've learned that in therapy. I can't, I can't share Emily, the etymology of it. Is it possible that perhaps... Because this is a lazy racial yes. characterization. My Austrian shrink yeah. is male, I know. Is it possible, Emily, that you are maybe a little bit jelly bags? <laughs> are you like a little bit gel gel? <laughs> are you well gel about this? You are a jelly baby. <laughs> that is your big problem. Oh, jelly, jelly baby, you're a gel baby. Now, you know what my therapist would say? That will be say? 500 pounds. <laughs> well, you know what my therapist would say? Well, You've gone off on a tangent. Yes, I have to, to avoid. avoid talking Classic about... Classic avoidance. <laughs> um, it's, uh, yes, no, it's very simple. I've spoken about it before, okay. so I don't feel as if I'm betraying too no. many confidences. But Joe and myself formed a friendship that was fueled by dreams of one day making films mm. and Joe went to film school and we both loved movies and went to the movies all the time and we fantasized about the kind of thing that we would one day and we made a few bits and pieces when we were younger and of course we ended up doing the tv show which was and we did all our little movie parodies and that felt to us as if we were um in some way part of the industry and it was exciting yeah and then we hoped that when we got the opportunity we would make something proper as it were right uh, original and we tried a few times and we had interest from film four and places like that to develop ideas that we would write together and that maybe i would be in as well as an actor and joe would direct because that's what the relationship was mm. at school we mm. made a couple of short films when we were at school that Joe directed and I appeared in and yeah. I enjoyed, I, we, you know, I'd make posters and that was one of the aspects that I really loved was yeah. all that. So the wheels were sort of and, set in motion, yeah, that was the dream. That yeah. was the dream. And then, you know, kind of petty squabbles and uncomfortable, competitive anxieties crept in once we started working on the TV show together. Yeah. And also, it became evident that 
writing, sitting down, writing in a room together was not our strong suit. I feel as if I was the problem mm. um, and that I've never really nailed that. I have done it once or twice semi-successfully but uh, I find it tricky and I'm always interested whenever I talk to people on my podcast if they're writers or if they are creative in that way if they collaborate with other people I'm always very curious yeah. to know how they deal with it because yeah. it's a, a recurring theme it's not easy to collaborate in that way and so when Joe formed a friendship with Edgar and it became clear that they were writing together um, and then when actually some of their projects started getting made and then when they went off and they were writing for Steven Spielberg, I was like, is this actually f***ing happening? Joe, he's gone off with a f Edgar f***ing Ono and he's writing for Steven and they're sitting in a room with Steven Spielberg, <laughs> who we grew up idolising. And I'm not there and there's no way that I'm invited. And it's I a, found it's a bit that when your ex marries Angelina Jolie, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so I found that pretty. I was pretty. I turned into a jelly baby. Did you? I did, and I was threatened, and I just thought, shit, I'm not there because I can't do it, and Joe can. Yeah. And now he's exactly where I want to be, and now I'm genuinely over that. How did you get over that then? How did I? I think time and also seeing how difficult that world is yeah. and how... Um, there's, a, there's a big tax to be paid. Oh God, yeah. And how hard Joe works yeah. and in how many situations he has to uh, keep his shit together where I would not. And uh, I d I'm not cut out for it. I, I, I enjoy my autonomy. I'm very grateful for my lot and I feel, especially since my dad died, I've got yeah. that thing like, mm, I should just really concentrate on what's good about my life and not worry too much about what I don't have. Did that, do you think that was, had a big effect on you, your dad dying? Yeah, massive. I mean, I was immediately plunged into a completely cliched midlife crisis and a crisis of mortality. Right. of just being suddenly very, very aware that time was short. Did you get that? Yeah, very much so. But I, I think, did you see that as, when you say midlife crisis, that suggests, that sounds negative to me. Well, midlife crisis generally... That the, sounds the, a bit Paul Hollywood leather jacket and right, a Ferrari. Right, exactly. But I think that's the cliche of it. That's just people associating that whole thing with the wazicky men. Yeah. But it's not exclusively a male thing. And I was talking to Miranda Sawyer about it. She wrote a very yes. good book called Out of Time. All about this. Uh, exploring this period in your middle age, whether you're a man or a woman, where you suddenly become painfully aware of the way that time works and how cruelly it speeds up and how suddenly all these things that you've taken for granted start stacking up and the way that you used to feel so carefree about certain things just evaporates and uh, and you suddenly realize that from now on it's a process of managing a lot of painful feelings rather than when you're younger you're just trying to corral all your excitements and your expectations yeah. and your hopes and optimisms about all the great great things that i'm gonna do in my life and the things that are gonna happen to me because i'm great you just make all young people sound like dicks but i know what you mean they it's are. So true. yeah <laughs> they are all dicks because they don't know any of this and this is the thing that you can't communicate yeah. there's a barrier that time has set up that is impossible to penetrate. It is impossible to communicate to a young person those things that you are suddenly aware of when people you love start dying. And also it would, yeah, it would take a lot of the fun out of being young. Well, also to achieve anything, to do crazy things, you can't be saddled with a permanent awareness of no and no one's talking death. about you know yeah. the, the, the trick is balance you don't want to focus on <laughs> you don't say hey dad yeah. the new power rangers movie yeah but we're all gonna die yeah what's the point <laughs> but my father would say that he'd come in and say 
there's a ma- you'd say oh isn't it a nice day and he'd say there's a man with a chopper waiting to uh, get all of us would he really say yeah, that yeah yeah my dad was a bit like that i found a book in my dad's um shelves i have all his possessions here now because he lived with us in the last he was here wasn't he before he died yeah. yeah yeah i've thrown a lot of it out but uh, i kept all his books and one of the books i found was by this philosopher called roger scruton he had a book called I think it's called The Uses of Pessimism. <laughs> and it is a big ph- philosophical tome all about how all these prats going around encouraging you to be optimistic and upbeat about life are ultimately self-defeating <laughs> and uh, actually making things harder for themselves in the long run. And what you should actually do is get to grips with how f***ed we all are yeah, yeah. and how unfair things are and then move on on that basis. And I always remember my dad saying, you know, I'd say like, that's not fair. Why, 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 why do we have to do that? That's not fair. You know, like kids do. Yeah. He would say, life itself is unfair. And I'd just be thinking, what the f- does that mean? Life itself is unfair. That's bullshit. And anyway, what's the point of saying that? Why, why, why look at it like that? Life itself is not—it's meaningless, and I wouldn't express myself in exactly that way. Have you found yourself saying that to your kids now? No, I don't say it, but I do understand what he meant. Yeah. He was like, "Don't expect things to work out the way you want them to, because we are in a narrative that doesn't end well for yeah. any of us." <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you Spoiler proceed alert. on that? Basis? None of us are making it out. Yeah. This. By the way, we were talking earlier on about not letting everything hang out. I mean, mm. I, I, I am really conflicted about it because I do believe that talking about things is very useful and almost always positive. And uh, certainly within a marriage, mm. it's absolutely crucial mm. to keep the wheels on the bus. And within any relationship, really, it's so valuable. And it's I like it and it's fun. And Well, I also think relationships unsuccessful relationships I've had have been unsuccessful a lot of the time because of a lack of openness. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I've dated people and suddenly the relationship's ended and I'm like, what? And said, oh, I was really unhappy. Well, why didn't you say anything? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because maybe we could have talked about it. Yeah. I don't know what it is, Adam, but you've got, you've just got a really, and you'll hate this word because it's a bit Californian and oversharey, but you've got a very tranquil, positive energy. Oh, that's and very you're nice. you're very nice to be around. Oh, thanks. Well, uh, I wish I could say the same for you. <laughs> uh, but you insulted my dog as soon as you got here, and you've been very passive-aggressive ever since. So, something you're going to have to work through with your therapist. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe no, it's really nice. to. It's, it's lovely to see you, and I'm so glad that we're... You know, sometimes I look back on some of the friendships I formed back in the 90s when I yeah. was so overexcited to be in that world hobnobbing with celebrities and people on TV and people in bands and wearing wearing maybe a jacket with some bleached jeans and a black t-shirt oh all of that yeah, yeah. and I do think god I was a bit of a shallow wazzock and maybe I you know just formed the wrong friendships and stuff with the podcast with all the stuff that you do yeah it feels like you've got a pretty nice Indus- cottage industry like the yeah the adam buxton brand is quite strong i would say right now i have a sense from the messages people send me mm. that they like it and occasionally i'll get you know because the podcasts i do are hugely varied some are me just talking bullshit with louis or with joe or garth my friend um and then others are more straightforward. Lu- a Louis Theroux trying to sing, which is, to yeah. many people, one of the greatest moments ever on the podcast. Yeah, that's... Which is Louis Theroux trying to sing Yes Sir, I Can Boogie, and sort of thinking he's got a brilliant voice, but it's actually not that great. Although a few musicians have since <laughs> told me, actually, he's got... The, the pitch is right. The falsetto. Because I was teasing him and saying, mate, you're way off key. <laughs> and he's going, Yes Sir, uh, I, I can, can boogie, but I need a Satan song. And he holds the note for a long time. And I was like, wow, that's awful. But actually, the musicians 
have since told me like no no he's on he's on key he can sing but you know that's one of the two impressions i can do i can do an impression of adrian Childs. and all right murder how are you i'll be down at uh, about three o'clock so uh, i'll see you later now we're uh, back in a bit uh, we'll be catching up with the, some of the action down at the san Sido. so i'm proud of that that's excellent and then i can do the second impression is louis through louis singing. singing baccarat yeah <laughs> I mean, what jobs can I get on the strength of that? Uh, you could have your own podcast. <laughs> Fantastic uh, answer. I can tell you it's you. worked out. Adam, I've so loved our chat, and I'm still, I've still got an umbrella because it was raining earlier. We got lucky, and I'm using it. Look I at that! Like look at the clouds, now. Emily. Look at the Norfolk skies. I mean, you can't see this, but I'm really sad for you. They are billowing. It's like a whole universe it's like a whole other world up there suspended in the sky you can yeah. imagine living there houses and communities in the clouds you know like in have you read uh, what's it called his I'm dark materials now and his wife's in there it's embarrassing <laughs> have you read uh, yeah just wondering his, yes you know Philip Pullman, yeah. yeah i'm still reading them to my daughter and he talks about you, you know this other world suddenly becoming visible in the sky and uh because they screw around with the gap between this yeah. world and another, they're suddenly able just to walk across a bridge and go to this world up there in the clouds. That's what it looks like. That's what we're looking at, listeners. Do you know what I would say? What? You've got 99 problems, but if you ain't one. <laughs> yeah. No, everything, um, you know. It's incredible. Hashtag <laughs> very blessed. <laughs> Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And here's your doggy thought for the day. Dogs do speak, but only to those who know how to listen. Of course, what they're generally saying is, you know, it's 2017. Can we move on from this whole outside toilet thing, please? That's all for now. Remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes or my dog will cry. 